This podcast is brought to you by the Reform Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reform Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reform views based on the Word of God and the Reform Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. The following is a sermon preached on a Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day. For more sermons, see our sermon audio page. We read God's Word this morning in Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. Mark 16, we begin our reading at verse 9. We read verses 9 through the end of the chapter. Hear the Word, the inspired Word of God. Now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom He had cast seven devils. And she went and told them that had been with Him, as they mourned and wept. And they, when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, believed not. After that he appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it unto the residue, neither believed they them. Afterward he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat, and abraded them with their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But He that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, He was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. We read that far in God's holy and inspired word. Now we turn to the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 26. Page 14 in the back of the Psalter. The Heidelberg Catechism on the basis of Scripture instructs us on the sacraments and now on the sacrament of baptism in particular. In Lord's Day 26 it asks, How art thou admonished and assured by holy baptism that the one sacrifice of Christ upon the cross is of real advantage to thee. Thus, that Christ appointed this external washing with water, adding thereto this promise, that I am as certainly washed by His blood and Spirit from all the pollution of my soul, that is, from all my sins, as I am washed externally with water, by which the filthiness of the body is commonly washed away. What is it to be washed with the blood and Spirit of Christ? It is to receive of God the remission of sins freely for the sake of Christ's blood, which He shed for us by His sacrifice upon the cross, and also to be renewed by the Holy Spirit and sanctified to be members of Christ so that we may more and more die unto sin and lead holy and unblameable lives. Where has Christ promised us that He will as certainly wash us by His blood and Spirit as we are washed with the water of baptism? In the institution of baptism, which is thus expressed, 
Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. This promise is also repeated where the Scripture calls baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins. Beloved, in the Lord Jesus Christ, as we begin considering this truth of baptism taught here in Lord's Day 26, it is important that we recognize that baptism is not only for infants. Baptism is not only for little children. Yes, it is. Baptism is for infants. And against Baptists, we insist that since children are members of the covenant, children of believers, that that is, they must be baptized. And we dare even say, in contradiction to the Baptists, though many of them are brothers and sisters, that they are wrong. And even sin by withholding baptism from children of believers. They ought to be baptized. Yet we must beware of another error which we might fall into, a more practical one, of thinking of baptism as only for infants or little children. To put it strongly, baptism is first of all for conscious believers before it is for infants who have not yet come to conscious faith. On the basis of God's Word this morning, I want to emphasize that today. Baptism is for you who can hear and understand the sermon on baptism. Baptism is for you who can understand what the catechism means when it describes baptism. Baptism is for you who can look at the actual water which comes upon a child and understand what that water symbolizes. Baptism is for you who can look on with a conscious faith. That first. That's what Jesus is pointing out in Mark 16. In Mark 16, when Jesus speaks about baptism, He refers to baptism especially for those who are believing. That is, those who are conscious believers. We read, He that believeth, verse 16, and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. A couple of things that the text does not mean. This text does not mean, as the Roman Catholics might claim, that baptism itself actually saves. It's very clear from the second part of the verse. He that believeth shall not be damned. It's not baptism that saves, but Christ Jesus who saves. And those who believe in Him are saved. Baptism itself does not actually save. Negatively, this text also does not mean, as the Baptists might claim, that Believing or conscious faith must precede baptism. And therefore, only those who can confess their faith may be baptized. And infants, therefore, are excluded from baptism. No, that's not what this text is saying. When Jesus speaks of believing and being baptized, He is not telling us that this is the required order in time. But positively, this text does mean that baptism is for believers. It does mean that. First of all, for believers. And that believing, your believing by the power of the Holy Spirit, must be enjoined to your baptism. So that and an application that I'll come back to in the sermon. When you see baptism as it was administered last Sunday, and when you see baptism as it will be administered repeatedly 
because the Lord has blessed our congregation with many children and is doing so. But when you see that baptism, it is public in this setting for believers to see and think about and with a conscious faith receive as God's promise to you that you are certainly washed of all your sins by the precious blood of Christ and washed by His Spirit of the power of sin as well. An infant cannot yet understand that. Oh, he will, she will. But you as conscious believers are called to that. I review with you the surrounding context of the catechism where we find this instruction on baptism. Remember that this comes soon after Lord's Days 23 and 24 on the heart of the gospel, justification by faith alone. I remind you that righteousness, our righteous standing before God, is imputed to us. That is, it is legally counted as ours even though we are still sinful. Christ's perfect righteousness is judged as our own. And we emphasize in the last couple of weeks how it is through faith alone that we receive this declaration of righteousness as well as all the other benefits of salvation. Faith alone is the instrument that joins us to Jesus Christ and through which we receive every benefit. And we must not mix faith with anything else. Primarily, we saw God uses preaching and the sacraments secondarily as a means to strengthen that faith through which we receive all the blessings of salvation. And today, the Catechism brings us to the, one of those secondary means for the strengthening of our faith in Jesus Christ. And that is the sacrament of baptism. Consider with me this doctrine in Lord's Day 26 based on God's Word under the theme, the sign and seal of baptism. First the sign, then the seal, and then finally the command. The sacrament of baptism is a sign and a seal. And in this first point, we consider baptism as a sign. Notice that Lord's Day 26 does not use that word sign explicitly or seal. That came in the previous Lord's Day, Lord's Day 25, which spoke of sacraments as signs and seals. But in the question, question 69, we find two words that go along with the word sign and seal. And those are the words, both starting with the letter A, admonished and assured. The word admonished goes with the word sign, and the word assured goes with the word seal. How art thou admonished by holy baptism? Literally in the German, that word admonished means reminded. How art thou reminded? You need reminders. You're a forgetful people. We are. How are thou reminded by holy baptism of the gospel? A sign, therefore, is a visible symbol which reminds us of an invisible spiritual reality. The sign of baptism, more specifically, reminds us of the spiritual reality of our entrance into God's covenant and our washing of all of our sins. Baptism is a sign of entrance into covenant. Think of that first of all. God's covenant, I remind you, is His unconditional Bond of friendship and fellowship. A bond of friendship and fellowship that He makes unconditionally with us, His chosen people. Baptism, the sacrament, is a sign of being brought into the covenant, entering into this covenant with God. And because you do not 
enter into God's covenant again and again repeatedly, but enter into it once and never fall from that covenant, thankfully. Baptism is also only administered once. That's part of the sign. It's part of the sacrament of baptism that we see it once displayed to a person because entrance or being brought into God's friendship and fellowship takes place once. And that covenant forever shall be with His people. That's why the Baptists, or they were once called Anabaptists, which means literally those who baptize again, they spoil this aspect of the sign of entrance into the covenant, which only happens once. It doesn't happen again and again. And this sign of entering into the covenant once that baptism shows us is different, is distinct from the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, in that the sacrament of the Lord's Supper happens again and again because It shows the enjoyment, the regular enjoyment of this covenant and this fellowship with God. While baptism and distinction from the Lord's Supper shows the first time entrance into God's covenant. I demonstrate that the Catechism in Lord's Day 27 does not explicitly speak of baptism as a symbol of entering God's covenant, but it does imply it. In Answer 70, we find those words sanctified to be members of Christ. The word sanctified means to be set apart. And the catechism is explaining that baptism pictures being set apart as members of Christ. Members of Christ, you see, are those who are joined to Christ. And being joined to Christ as the mediator are joined to God in that bond of fellowship and friendship called the covenant. Scripture shows us this, that baptism is a sign of entrance into the covenant in the very formula for baptism. We find that formula quoted in question and answer 71 of Lord's Day 26 where the catechism quotes The Great Commission, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them, how? And here's the baptismal formula as we call it, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Why are we baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit? The common misunderstanding is that this is by the authority of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But that's not what the baptismal formula means. Rather, what Jesus meant is that we are baptized into the name, that is, in connection to the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the covenant idea. When we're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it is being displayed or or symbolized that we are made one in covenant and fellowship and friendship with the triune God. Baptism shows entrance into that covenant. And now I've stated it and I've, I've, I've proven it, this first point regarding what baptism symbolizes. And to help you think about it, and for further explanation, I ask you a question. If baptism is a sign of entrance into God's covenant, here's a personal question. When were you, when were you brought into this covenant? When did you enter into this friendship and fellowship with God so that there is a bond between you and Christ and the triune God? Many Protestant Reformed people would answer that question, I think, this way. Well, from eternity. I've always been in in the covenant with God. 
And I think that reveals a, a certain erroneous thinking, a little bit of confusion that we need to correct and develop our understanding in regarding God's covenant. While it is true, while it is true that from all eternity, God has looked upon us in Jesus Christ as His sons and daughters, and it is true according to His counsel of election, He has chosen us. Election is not equivalent to covenant. Covenant, remember we said, is the bond of friendship and fellowship that God has with His people. But from eternity you did not exist. From eternity there was not a real bond that connected your soul, which did not exist, to Jesus Christ and to God, the Godhead in a relationship of fellowship. So covenant, though it existed from eternity in the triune God, did not yet join you to God. When, then, did this covenant come about between you and God so that you as an individual entered into this fellowship and friendship with God? And the answer is, at the moment of your regeneration. At the moment when the Holy Spirit first joined you by the bond of faith to Jesus Christ and implanted into you Christ's life. Then there began this bond of friendship and fellowship between you and God. Titus 3 verse 5, which is quoted in question and answer 72 at the end, speaks of baptism in this way. Baptism is the washing of regeneration. And it speaks of baptism this way, not because baptism itself regenerates, but because baptism is a picture of regeneration. It's a picture or a symbol of God taking you dead of yourself, totally depraved, in which you were conceived, and joining you to Christ and to the covenant God and the bond of friendship and fellowship and giving you His life. That took place at the moment of regeneration. For many of you, that happened in the womb. For some, it happened a little later in life. But this entrance into covenant at the moment of regeneration is what baptism pictures. Baptism pictures this entrance into covenant. And all those who are brought into God's covenant are washed. They're washed of all of their sins. And now we get to the more familiar part of the meaning of baptism, that which baptism symbolizes, the washing away of the sins of all God's covenant people. And this perhaps is the familiar part of the sign I said, but notice that there are two distinct washings not separated washings, but distinct washings pictured at baptism. First, baptism pictures the blood of Jesus Christ washing away the guilt of our sin. And secondly, baptism pictures the Holy Spirit of Christ washing away the power or the corruption of sin. First, we look at what is more familiar. The water of baptism pictures the blood of Jesus Christ washing away the guilt of sin. Question answer 70 of the Catechism makes this explicit. It asks in answer, question 70, what is it to be washed with the blood and Spirit of Christ? Then the explanation or the answer answers that question in order. First, what is it to be washed by the blood? And then what is it to be washed by the Spirit? In explaining what it is to be washed by the blood of Christ, we find it is to receive of God the remission of sins freely for the sake of Christ's blood which He shed for us by His sacrifice upon the cross. And the Catechism speaks of the remission of sins. The Catechism is 
On the basis of Scripture referring to the forgiveness of sins. is referring to our justification. And therefore, when it speaks of sins, it has to refer to the guilt. The guilt that we incur with our sin. Guilt, I remind you, is not First of all, a feeling, though there are guilty feelings when guilt is incurred. But guilt refers to our legal status objectively in God's courtroom. All your sins ought to be recorded, logged in an account book. And for all your sins, you ought to be declared by God the judge guilty. Worthy of eternal punishment in hell. But God, in His grace toward us, for Jesus' sake, washes away all the guilt, all the dirty sins and crimes that ought to be on our account. Baptism itself does not wash away the guilt. That's the Roman Catholic teaching. But Christ washes away the guilt by His precious blood. For He, God the Son, came, made Himself our flesh, that He might suffer His whole life and go to that accursed cross and there endure the punishment due unto us for all the guilt and suffered it completely. And on that basis, Because of Christ alone, God declares us righteous, forgiven of all of our sins. Children, the water that you see at baptism is the same water you use when you take a bath. It's the same water that washes off your the dirt off your body, the the bad smells off your body. The same water that washes away the dirt from the dirty dishes in the sink. It's not some special holy water. But this water of baptism, when it is administered in church, is supposed to be a picture, a symbol to you and me of the blood of Jesus Christ. Cleansing us of all of our guilt so that we are righteous and forgiven in God's sight. All the guilt of past, present, future sin. Original, actual sin, known and unknown sin, sins of commission, sins of omission, all those sins washed by the blood of Christ. And all those who listen this morning by faith may rest in His finished work for you. But there is a second washing less familiar and often forgotten at baptism. Baptism not only pictures entrance into God's covenant and the forgiveness or the washing away of all the guilt of sin by the blood of Christ, but finally, baptism also pictures the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, sent by Christ to wash away the power, the corrupting power of sin. Beloved, there are many today who would deny this under the clothing of orthodoxy and even reformed Christianity, this is sometimes denied. Not explicitly, of course, but implicitly by minimizing this truth, by ignoring it, by being silent about this aspect of the gospel. Many do not deny this. But question answer 70 is very clear. This is creedal, this is reformed, this is biblical. It asks, what is it to be washed with the blood and spirit? showing that we are washed by the Spirit of Christ also. There is a washing by blood, but there is also a washing by the Spirit. And the second half of this answer, in logical order, explains what it is to be washed by that Spirit. And also, meaning we're not only washed by blood, but also to be renewed by the Holy Spirit and sanctified to be members of Christ, that so we may more and more die unto sin and lead holy and unblameable lives.
Those who deny this, ignore this, or are afraid of this are in error. Salvation is pictured by baptism. And God would have us see in baptism the Holy Spirit poured out upon the souls. Every soul who is washed by His blood receives His Spirit as well. And the Spirit not only joins us to God in covenant, but works in us in the depths of our soul to give us a new heart. Or if we want to picture it this way, along the lines of the water of baptism, the Spirit comes like a flood of water and flows like a strong, overflowing stream into our soul to wash away that old man from the throne of our hearts. So that while he still is there in our souls, he no longer reigns, but rather a new man reigns. And with that new heart that the Spirit gives us, notice the more and more in the catechism, more and more, we die unto sin and lead holy and unblameable lives. That's the Spirit's work. It's called progressive sanctification. He changes our will so that we want more and more to serve Jesus and not self. He changes our desires so that we desire more and more that which is good rather than that which is evil. His glory more and more rather than our own. He changes our thinking, our thoughts, so that we have the mind of Christ and we think more and more heavenly thoughts rather than the things of this earth. More and more means there is progress. Now that doesn't mean, beloved, that you will always notice progress in yourself, though you may see it in others. Often those who are progressing spiritually don't notice it, but others see it, and it is for the glory of God. So children, when you see the water of baptism, again, don't think holy water, don't think special water. It's the same water you use to wash the dirt off your body and off your hands at the sink. Because water is a symbol of the Holy Spirit coming into your heart to wash away that old man off the throne of your heart so that you may choose more and more the right words to say rather than the mean words to say. You choose more and more to honor your father and mother rather than talk back to them. You desire more and more to come to church and not to do your own pleasure on the Sabbath day. Have you been baptized? Then I call you, beloved, to live accordingly. To live a life consistent with that sign. Not as enemies of God, but as those who have been joined by the bond of the covenant as His friends. Not living in doubt, but living with the confidence that your guilt has been washed away by the blood of Christ. And not living as selfish men-pleasers, but as those who are sanctified by the Spirit, symbolized at baptism. But because we don't always live as such, and our lives admittedly are too often inconsistent with that sign of baptism. We need to understand baptism also as a seal. A seal. A seal is a means, a tool of the Holy Spirit for personal assurance. More precisely, a seal is a means 
that the Spirit uses to strengthen our assurance. That's what the Catechism in question 69 is indicating. Remember those two words that begin with A? How are thou admonished? That goes along with the word sign. But also, how are thou assured? That goes along with the word seal. How are thou assured? The Holy Spirit uses baptism when it is enjoined to the Word, to the preaching of the Word that explains it. He uses baptism for the assurance of faith. Not for the giving of that assurance for the first time. but for the strengthening of that assurance which is part of faith. The Holy Spirit, when one sees the sacrament of baptism, strengthens the assurance of faith. Which means, beloved, that only those with conscious faith who are already believing are assured at baptism. An infant, a little baby, when he or she is brought to the baptismal font, cannot yet consciously think about what is going on. Consciously believe on Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Yes, that child, our covenant children, they're they're regenerated. Many of them are joined to Christ and to God, but they cannot consciously believe at baptism. And therefore, when they are baptized, there is no assurance happening in the child. A young person sleeping in the back of church, distracted by a girlfriend or a boyfriend or thinking about a basketball game or a young adult hungover from the weekend, or someone who is playing with his pen or paper instead of taking notes, and not thinking about baptism and what it means, is not assured at baptism. When the congregation is focused on a baby or the dress of a mother or something else, Rather than the gospel, there's no sealing or assuring that is taking place. Or when the heart strays in stubborn, willful, impenitent sin, instead blaming, excusing, manipulating to make things go their way, there will be no sealing or assuring at baptism. Positively, only those in whom the Holy Spirit works, repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. That is, those who consciously look to Jesus as symbolized at baptism are assured, are strengthened in that assurance. That's the point of Mark 16, Jesus' own words. He is mainly talking about conscious believers who are baptized. And He is saying, for He says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. Only those who believe, notice the emphasis. The order there is the order of importance. Only those who believe and are baptized shall be saved. And those who do not believe, the implication, even if they are baptized, Those who do not believe shall be damned. And so before I speak further of how baptism is an assurance or a seal to you, I call you, beloved, on the basis of God's Word, of Christ's Word here in Mark 16, that you must today, today, repent and believe. And by repentance I do not mean that you must go and change your life around before you may be assured. But by repentance, I mean that you must be broken and of a contrite heart, sorrowful for your sins. That you might bring those sins by faith to Jesus Christ, who was pictured at baptism 
and rest there for your forgiveness. And those who ignore that call to repent and believe, those who say, I don't need to repent and believe, that's Arminian. Those who say, I was already baptized, I already believed in the past, I don't need to repent and believe today. Well, hear Jesus' words. He that believeth not shall be damned. But to you, in whom God works, a believing heart, I say unto you, baptism is a seal. As the form for baptism says, a seal and an undoubted testimony that you have an eternal covenant of grace with God. And even if we sometimes through weakness fall into sin, we will, we have and we will again. Though not wanting to, we will. We must not therefore despair of God's mercy, nor continue in sin, since baptism is such a seal, an undoubted testimony that we have an eternal covenant of grace with God. Christ gives you baptism, beloved, you who repent and believe this morning. He gives you baptism every time you see it here in this church, not only when you were a child. He gives this to you so that it is publicly displayed to you as a confirmation that you are His. You belong to His covenant. You are forgiven, washed in the blood of Christ. And sanctified by His Spirit. Even if you do not always notice the Spirit's work. The the sacrament contains a promise. And joined to it. Notice answer 69. Especially the words. As certainly as. As certainly as. Those are the assuring or sealing words. Of this Lord's day. That Christ appointed this external washing with water, adding thereto this promise that I am. Say this personally, you who are repenting and believing today. I am as certainly washed by His blood and Spirit from all the pollution of my soul that is from all my sins, as I am washed externally with water by which the filthiness of the body is commonly washed away. Are you sure that water, when you put your hands under water, are you sure that that water washes dirt off your hands? Do you see the dirt coming off your hands as the water flows? Yes, you say. That, that's something I see every day. Just as certain can you be that all your sins are washed away by the blood of Christ. And just as certain can you be that the Spirit has indeed saved you from the ruling power of the old man. That's what a seal is. It's a visible sign with a promise and join to it. For the assuring, the strengthening of the assurance of your faith. The seal and sign of baptism is here in this church. That which you are to attend, that which you are, you are to look on, pay attention to, with a believing and repenting heart. And the sign and seal of baptism is commanded. It's commanded not only for the church to receive, but the church to do. We find that command in what is called the institution of baptism. Christ instituted baptism. That means He commanded the church to administer the sacrament. Do you know when? And do you know how? 
I refer you back to Mark 16 as well as a parallel passage in Matthew 28. This is when and this is how he instituted the sacrament of baptism. It's quoted in Lord's Day 26 as well in the last question and answer. At the end of his ministry before he ascended into heaven, that's when and how in the Great Commission. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Mark includes with that Great Commission Christ's words following the Great Commission that we have referred to already. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be damned. The word of Christ to the church is an imperative, it's not optional. Teach and baptize. Teach and baptize. Teach and baptize. I apply it this way, parents. It's not optional. You're called as parents, and then members, fellow members with those parents of the church of God to teach and baptize. Don't just baptize. Teach. And part of your teaching, fathers, part of your teaching, parents, is to show your children the gospel. Not only the law, that's something we're prone to. Thou shalt not, thou shalt do this, do that, correct your behavior. Parents, teachers, fathers, the gospel, along with the instruction, along with the law, teach and preach the gospel to your children and baptize. We don't presume, we don't presume upon the faith of our children, but we see them as covenant children. We're confident that if they die in infancy, God has saved them. A presumption is an error that we tend to in our circles. We just expect that they believe. The command is to teach. Teach them the gospel. Call them to faith. And baptize both. But now I come to the last point, but not least. Where and how again? Did Christ command the church to baptize? In the Great Commission, go ye into all the world, teaching and baptizing, Jesus says. Not just your children teaching and baptizing, though we may never neglect that, but to all the world, and that should be very striking to us. Very striking. Because often when we think of teaching and baptizing, we think of children and Christian education. But when Jesus spoke of the teaching and the baptizing, He did not exclude children. Of course not. But His focus was an outward looking unto the nations with His Gospel, in His Word, and in the sacrament. A common argument by Baptists today for their insistent, insistence on adult baptism only. A common argument is that in the New Testament, all we find are examples of adult baptisms. And so we must follow that example. That's their argument. We must follow that example and only baptize adults. And we will address that argument next week or in two weeks, Lord willing. For there are many evidences in Scripture of baptism which comes upon children also. But the Baptists do have a point. And their good point is this. There are adult baptisms. There are many adult baptisms. There are primarily adult baptisms in the New Testament church as found in the New Testament. And thus, in the church of Jesus Christ today, we should see both infant baptism 
and adult baptism. The calling of Jesus Christ, the command, is that out of thankfulness, the church would go teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Because, beloved, the sign and seal of baptism is for you and your children and to those afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Amen. Let's pray. O God, our Father, we thank Thee for giving unto us salvation in Jesus Christ. We thank Thee for bringing us into that covenant, that bond of friendship and fellowship with Thee. We thank Thee for washing us with the precious blood of Thine own Son, of all the guilt of our sin. We thank Thee for Thy Holy Spirit, which works in us a progressive kind of sanctification. And we thank Thee for Thy church, where we might receive the means of faith, tools in the Holy Spirit's hand to strengthen our faith in the preaching and in the sacraments. O God, may Thy Word, though it be brought in weakness, be used in this morning too to work faith in our hearts, in the hearts of our children, as the sacrament and Thy Word that show the precious Gospel. And improve us also in bringing that teaching and baptism not only to our children, but to those that are far off, as many as Thou shalt call, that Thy name may be glorified in all the earth. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hope PR Ministry Podcast. We are a part of the Protestant Reformed Churches in America, and we are located in West Michigan. Our goal is to spread our distinctive Reformed beliefs. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us at hoperwc at gmail.com and visit our website at hopeprchurch.org if you would like to learn more about our beliefs. You can also worship with us every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 5 p.m.